Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Welcome to the very first episode of February. It's a new month. I'm sitting here in my chair as usual. I have a weighted blanket actually on my lap right now, which I never thought that I'd be hopping on the weighted blanket train. Not that I am opposed to comfortable things, but I just feel like sometimes when I'm too comfortable in bed, it makes for a very hard morning getting out of bed. And so I thought a weighted blanket might literally and and physically all of the, you know, emotionally weigh me down too much to get on with my day, but I stand corrected. I have never had a better night's sleep than with this weighted blanket. So now I'm using it while I podcast just to mellow me out, make me feel all comfy and cozy while I record this. I hope wherever you are in the world, you are also comfy and cozy because in most parts of the world, it is pretty chilly right now. I know New York today got like two feet of snow or something crazy. I'm sitting out here on the West Coast right now where we don't have snow. It was a little chilly this morning, a little overcast. We got some rain, which is not totally normal around here all the time. It's definitely like an event when it rains because unlike the East Coast, what I'm used to, it rains really not all that often out here, which is definitely something I was surprised to learn upon moving to the West Coast. But Alas, we are cozy. We are ready to podcast. Like I said, this is the first episode of February, and February is a really interesting month because not only is it, you know, Valentine's, it's my dad's birthday, it's the second month of the year, so it's, you know, not quite January. We're not quite in spring yet. It's just kind of like hanging in there in the beginning of the year, but it's also Black History Month. And you guys know each year on the podcast, I've focused on black trailblazers, uh, opinion leaders, just incredible stories from history, as I do every month. I mean, it's not just, you know, February where we can talk about black lives. That's just not even remotely true. But it is important to celebrate black lives this month, especially because it is Black History Month. 
And so I know this is the first episode of February, but bear with me because twice this month, I'll be dedicating episodes of Thick and Thin to two different black women from history who have done amazing things, have left amazing legacies. One of them is still with us today, but she did incredible things in her youth and even into today. One of them is from, you know, a little bit further back in the past, but I'm so excited to speak about them. I'm trying not to reveal their identities because they are, it's going to be kind of a surprise, I hope, like a fun series, because for the first time ever, I'm actually collaborating on these episodes. I felt that it was best and just a better way to tell the story to involve a black woman to help tell the story. I'll be working alongside a fellow history lover and podcaster, Kayla Stokes. She has a podcast called Bias Bender, and I'm so excited to work with her on this. We've already started the research phase, and we are a match made in heaven. I'm telling you, we both love Google Docs. We both love research. We both love history. So you guys are going to absolutely eat up these episodes. I'm so excited for you to hear from her and meet her and hear what and hear the stories that we have to tell. So that is what is to come on the podcast in the month of February, so stay tuned for those episodes. But in the meantime, I have a really great one for you guys today. We're going to be talking about stress, which I can argue, or I would argue, that a lot of us have gone through a significant amount of stress in the past 12 months. It's definitely looked different for each and every one of us, but I feel like it's definitely super present in each of our lives, and it is hard to cope with stress sometimes. It feels kind of hopeless sometimes. And so I wanted to talk about it today. I wanted to not only talk about stress and coping with it, but the history of stress and a work of art that is present in our world that would not be possible without a little bit of stress. And that was a challenge, but ultimately has become something that we all are familiar with and we all have grown to love. So that is what is to come today on Thick and Thin. Stay tuned for a great episode. Okay, so I can't be the only person out there that experiences mood swings. And I'm not talking about the kind that I get when I'm on my period because I feel like that's its own breed of mood swing. It's like super irrational. And I mean, hey, some mood swings I have normally are also super irrational. But you know what I'm talking about? Like just a normal everyday mood swing that just happens and you're, you know, sad one minute, you're happy the next and you're sad again, like that sort of thing. Because I feel like people don't normalize mood swings very much. You know, you feel like it's exclusively tied to when you're hangry or on your period or there has to be a reason, especially for a woman, to have a mood swing. And no, I'm here to tell you it's super normal and I feel like my mood swings really do come and go. You know that feeling. It's like, I don't know, the middle of like a Wednesday, a normal week and things were great and then all of a sudden you're just like, wait a second, I... I am feeling some type of way. I feel like I've turned into someone else almost, someone who just doesn't have faith in myself, someone that doesn't believe that I can ever be happy or that I deserve to be happy. And it's almost like I feel it's kind of an out-of-body experience. Like I'm standing next to myself, kind of watching myself have a total meltdown. You know, I'm looking around wondering how I got here. Am I happy right now? Am I supposed to be in this place? Am, you know, am I going to survive this feeling? I feel so small in this huge world. I'm a small fish in a big pond and no one knows I exist or cares. And yeah, the big the big kicker is like, oh, no one cares about me. I don't know. I just have all these feelings, right? And it's kind of like it's swirling around like I'm in the middle of a hurricane and I'm kind of, I don't know, trapped inside of a washing machine during spin cycle and I can't get out. Like that is how it feels. <laughs> Emotions are swirling everywhere. Every single mistake that I've ever made 
is flashing before my eyes and the fear of what the future holds also on the other end of things is just weighing on my chest so heavily until I can't breathe. And I'm certain in these moments, you know, when I'm experiencing and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to feel like this forever. Like I've hit rock bottom. There's no coming back and this is permanent. And then something insane happens, something crazy. I don't feel like that anymore. I snap out of it. I wake up, I don't know, in a new day, the sun is out, feeling none of those feelings. I feel motivated. I feel proud of myself. I feel determined. And I can't quite figure out what turned off the spin cycle, what stopped the hurricane. But I look around and feel grateful that I'm here and you know, excited about the future and not ashamed of the past for once. And I feel, okay, like everything is right. Everything is good again. And then I'm like, wait, how did, how did we get here from that low point to here? What changed? What happened? And I can't really figure it out, you know? And, and that's what a mood swing looks like for me. It's pretty mysterious how it comes to be, but it happens to me often. I feel like I'm in a moment of sadness and I'll never come back. And then I do. I wake up, it's a new week, and I feel good again. I feel like me again. So I read something this morning on Instagram. It was actually the first thing I saw on my feed when I was, you know, doing that thing that I always say I'm not going to do, aka scroll on my phone in bed first thing in the morning. I know it's horrible. I know everyone out there is probably cringing or nodding their head because they do the same thing. But I always do this. I just kind of scroll. I find things on my feed to kind of latch onto and to inspire me. So I think it's a good thing. Sometimes I've, you know, gone through and unfollowed all the people that have made me feel sad or, uh, you know, not enough and all of the things. And so now I just kind of have a lot of inspiration on my feed. Anyway, I'm not going to justify it. I read this excerpt from an article. It was written for a European digital publication called Red Magazine. And it was posted and written by one of my favorite authors named Lauren Martin. And so she is actually the founder of Words of Women, the Instagram account. And she also wrote The Book of Moods, which I talk about all the time on Instagram. You guys are probably sick of hearing about it from me because I love this book and this Instagram account. I just love her in general. And so I was so excited to see that she'd written something else. And so I instantly clicked on the link in her bio and read the whole thing and was like, okay, this, this is what I'm talking about on the podcast this week because it's so relevant. And I feel like, you know, stress and mood swings and things like that, it, it brings forth a lot of shame in people. They feel guilty. They feel like they don't want to share that they've undergone this thing. They feel like it makes them different and not in a good way and all of these things. And so I just wanted to shed some light on stressful moments and on mood swings. And so anyway, whatever, back to the article. So the article said this, it said, quote, if you're habitually a negative thinker, you typically react to a stressful situation with a threat stress response. For example, if your boss calls you into her office you might immediately think it's because you're getting fired. Your blood vessels constrict and your levels of the stress hormone cortisol creeps up and stays up, even when it turns out your boss just wanted to check in. And so reading this little section of her article helped me think through my mood swings and you know, kind of rationalize why I feel that overwhelming sense of just anxiety and all of these things when I'm trying to just, you know, rationalize or work through something hard. You know, when I slip into that scary spin cycle of feeling and fear when I'm stressed out and I'm just going through the motions of feeling this like dread, okay, it's usually triggered by a stressful situation that I feel like I have no control over. So something that I just feel like I already know 
the end result of I know or I think that I have no control over what's going to happen and I think I I kind of jump the gun and I I decide that I know what's going to happen before it happens you know and I have this I have this tendency to always uh do that kind of I jump the gun a lot I always I I leap I swan dive into conclusions okay and so this isn't abnormal for me but you know as I sit here with myself and read articles like that and realize okay this is the reason it makes it easier to, I don't know, skip that step next time and just carry it with grace, you know, and and combat the stress with grace and grace for myself. Anyway, so something that's helped me kind of put words to my stress, my feelings of stress and my mood swings and it's kind of helped me name those spin cycles, if you will, of when I spiral and when I have all of those feelings and like what those exactly are has been general adaptation syndrome. So this syndrome, I'm going to call it GAS from here on out because it's kind of a long phrase, was developed by a doctor and researcher named Hans Selye. Hans was one of the fathers of stress research, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about him in a little bit, but GAS specifically is a three-stage process that basically describes the physiological, so physical and chemical changes that the body undergoes when it's going through a period of stress. And the three stages, when I say them, you're going to be like, wow, okay, this kind of, or when I describe them a bit more, you're going to be like, yes, this is so me. It's crazy. So the three stages created by Hans are number one, alarm, number two, resistance, number three, exhaustion. And so the alarm stage in my experience is that you know, the sharp dip in my stomach when something stressful happens or something triggers my stress. So, you know, the example of the boss asking to talk to you, you know, when I forget to do something on my to-do list, when I forget about a deadline, when, you know, some guy that I'm talking to says, we need to talk, you know, when your friend confronts you about something, like just something happens and you're like, oh my gosh, I am stressed. I feel it in my stomach, like that thing. That is how I respond at least to the initial onset of stress, you know, the initial pang of fear and your adrenaline increases. Your mind is frantically replaying everything that could possibly be related to the stressor, trying to figure out where on earth you went wrong, you know, that sort of thing. So that's phase one, alarm. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. 
which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Then comes phase two, which is resistance. And for me, it looks like frustration. It looks like anger directed towards the person or the situation, literally anyone involved, that stressed me out. You know, being unable to focus on anything besides the stressful situation and how frustrated and how angry I am. Sometimes I cry about it because when I'm frustrated, I cry. And so, you know, I'm sitting there considering all the possible outcomes of the stressful situation, you know, based on the trigger. I'm like, okay, here's where it's going to go. Like I said, I tend to leap to conclusions. And so, you know, I'm looking at it though through a very clouded negative lens. Like I'm looking at it with negativity. Like Lauren Martin said in her quote earlier, you know, I was kind of projecting like what I thought was going to happen. And so it stressed me out even more. You know, I feel my lungs contracting, my appetites disappearing. I like can't eat and or do anything besides think about the stressful thing. I feel like just like tight all over and my mind is running wild. I'm sure a lot of you guys can also relate to that. So yes, phase two, resistance. Cue the spin cycle. <laughs> then we have phase three, which is exhaustion. So at this point, we're feeling drained, powerless, you know, we're feeling like a failure, questioning whether we're even cut out for whatever work we're doing or, you know, whatever our boss was criticizing us for, maybe that was totally invented in our head because we haven't even talked to them yet, but we're just, you know, leaping to conclusions, like I said. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm such a failure. I'm never going to do anything right ever again. I'm feeling physically and emotionally drained, fatigued over this stressful situation. So we have alarm, resistance, exhaustion. This is exactly what I go through each time I'm confronted with a stressful situation. And Hans created this, you know, this GAS model back in the 30s to the 50s, like a long time ago. It's still super relevant to this day. And so I actually asked you guys on Instagram to tell me the things that stress you out. And it's insane how relatable. I mean, we're all kind of the same. And so it's just crazy. We have all the same stressors and yet we don't often tell other people that we're feeling stressed about these things. And so people just assume that everyone else is better off than they are and that's just not the case. So I want to read some of the stressors you guys told me about on Instagram and then we're going to talk about coping with these things and how we get through them and how we reframe the conversation. First up, we have decision fatigue, which tell me about it. I feel like making decisions and making a lot of them all at once. Like if you're moving, if you're choosing a college, a major, all of these things, it definitely wears you out and leads to extreme levels of stress. We have the unknown, having too much on my plate, time pressure from other people, this needs to be done now, future career, expectations of where I should be in five years. Yes. I hate the five years question. I talked about this before in the podcast, I think, but the five years, like where you see yourself in five years question is just so, it has caused me so much stress in the past. I love when people are just like, where do you see yourself in the future? Because then it doesn't, you know, put the five year label on it. Like this needs to be done. Like this timestamp five years from now, exactly this needs to be done. Or I'm going to feel like a failure that I didn't get these things done. Social settings, social anxiety, presenting projects in public, my long-distance relationship, parking. Oh my gosh, parking (laughs) causes me so much stress. Parallel parking, which is huge here in LA. Wow, I completely relate with that one. 
I mean, it really doesn't take much to stress me out, honestly. Applying to grad school, having to say no to people, airports, COVID, obviously, work-life balance. And then someone listed like a full-on list, which I fully agree with. Boys, work, politics, PMS, my parents' expectations of me. I need a drink now. I love this person for that. Anyway, so the list goes on. You guys are stressed, and so am I. But I recently came up with a sort of model of sorts or just kind of a, a guiding thought. And this morning, Lauren Martin, the amazing author I've been talking about this whole freaking episode, really solidified things for me with a quote from her article. So Lauren said that what helped her with the negative thinking, with the stress handling, bad habits, was shifting her thinking, basically. She said, you know, instead of viewing stress as a threat, keyword threat, like think of that threat, think of something threatening, you know, something totally defeating, Lauren says we should view stress more so as a challenge, And I love this. So if you typically see something stressful as a project to be tackled and then you complete it, she says in her article, the blood flows to your heart and your brain and you experience a brief but energizing spike of cortisol. So I mentioned cortisol once already in this episode and you might be thinking to yourself, you know, okay, what is cortisol? So cortisol is actually described by experts as being your body's alarm system. It controls moods, fight or flight instinct, motivation, those sorts of things. And it also affects sleep, inflammation, energy, those things and more. And so when people say, I mean, when you, you know, you bloat when you're stressed, they're not wrong. You know, that and other things have to do with your cortisol levels. And things that can balance your cortisol include exercise, going to bed at the same time each night, limiting alcohol, things like that. Lauren's, you know, way of phrasing it just really hits the nail on the head. You know, we should be viewing stress as something that is tackleable, that is not a word, as a challenge. (laughs) How about that? It's not so much a threat. It's not something that can totally kill us and, you know, totally immobilize us. It's a challenge. And so... She actually finished the, you know, the thought with this. She said, this small shift in perspective, so seeing stress as a challenge, will become ingrained over time. We should start replacing the phrase, I have to, with I plan to. So not necessarily I want to, okay, there's a difference, but I plan to. And it's a small little shift in, you know, your language that will, you know, really alter your perception of your to-do list and how scary it is, you know? you know, looking at your to-do list and not thinking to yourself, oh, I have to do all these things today and thinking it more so like I get to do these things. I plan to do these things, you know, and it's it's normal to have things on your to-do list you don't necessarily want to do, but phrasing it as like I plan to do this thing and there's a reason why I'm doing it, you know, it's going to help me in my career or with my hobby or whatever, it helps to see it that way. And this small shift in language and in thinking will help you find you know, motivation, okay, more cortisol, even some excitement for the tasks ahead. And you can focus on, she says, embarking on new adventures, having new experiences rather than feeling super overwhelmed and fearful of what is to come. And I find personally that my stress levels increase when I'm not fully present. I'm not fully in the moment with things, which I find that when I'm really feeling the stress, it's when I'm spending too much time thinking about the past, dwelling there, or thinking too, too much about the future. You know, and it's nice to think about those things and wonder what's to come or reflect on good times and things like that, but being super present 
is important to, you know, grounding yourself and knowing what you're up to now in this very moment and appreciating what's around you, you know, grounding yourself, centering yourself. These things I find really help, you know, focusing on something that is present and here, right here, right now helps me. So, you know, all those people on Instagram saying, you know, getting into their dream school and, you know, job search during COVID and all of these things, like a lot of you guys brought up all these different things that are super either past driven or future driven and, you know, just grounding yourself in the present for even just one moment while you're feeling super stressed will really help, I promise. And something that I do that might sound silly, (laughs) but just like focusing on an object in my present that's something, you know, in the, the space that I'm sitting or where I am, where I'm you know, having this overwhelming feeling of stress and the spin cycle is running, I go pet the cat or I doodle on a little scrap of paper. I do the dishes even, okay? I admire a new piece of art on the wall, just like go and look at it. I don't know. Something just so, so undeniably present. It really helps me so much just to ground myself and remind myself of the things that I have and that I'm appreciative of and all of those things, you know, practicing gratitude. All those things are super helpful, I find. And yeah, but I mean, hey, In general, stress is a super legitimate threat to our productivity, and it's super, super common. And it's something that shouldn't just be brushed off as something that we all experience, though, you know? It's not like a so what sort of thing, because if we don't deal with it, obviously, if we don't treat it seriously, it could lead to complications, you know, emotionally or physically. I mean, hey, for crying out loud, the American Psychological Association literally puts out an annual report each year called Stress in America, and they measure how much stress Americans are feeling in various categories, and it's a legitimate thing that we, you know, recognize here now, and in the medical fields, we recognize stress. So remember that guy that I mentioned earlier, Hans Selye, the father of stress research? Well, I did some more reading on him, and I found out something pretty crazy, Up until rather recently, okay, stress wasn't considered to be something with medical basis. It wasn't, you know, accepted by the medical community as something that could cause complications or be caused by certain things like stress was strictly a feeling, strictly a sensation that some people would feel from time to time, but it was kind of just a really, you know, casual thing, like feeling rushed or something. I don't know, like another feeling like that. It was not something that was so seriously referred to in medicine, in journals, and things like that. So I found this 2016 Time article that spoke to Hans Selye's impact on stress research and giving it the legitimacy it needed to be taken seriously. So Hans was a medical researcher in Montreal, born in the year 1907, so way long ago, but he was studying hormonal changes in rats. And during his experiments in the late 30s, he noticed something that changed the game for him. Hans realized that the rats he was studying were responding not solely to his injections of hormones and placebos, but also to the stress caused by the experiments. It wasn't necessarily the drugs, but perhaps also the stress of doing the experiment, you know, experiment after experiment, that caused the rats to become ill and die. And he argued that something similar happened to soldiers on battlefields. Many soldiers' post-war complications weren't simply due to exposure to shell shock, explosives, etc. That was what was previously, basically, you know, that was the reason for soldiers having complications when they got back from war. The anxiety that a lot of them experienced was also due to the stress of war, the stress of being on high alert for so long. And this gave way to studies on, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, things like that. 
but those just like weren't a thing at this time. You know, up until the 30s and even for some time after Hans started his research, people didn't take stress seriously. It took until the 50s to really take off in the medical community, according to time. So stress is only recently a condition that is widely, widely studied and attributed to things like high blood pressure, heart attack, ulcers, illness of any sort, headaches, you know, the list goes on, and physical and chemical things. You know, it's not just brushed off as a feeling, something common and totally non-fatal, you know, not at all related to what ails us. Isn't that interesting? It's it's rather new that stress has been taken seriously. Actually, not all that surprising because I feel like a lot of us, you know, aren't even super comfortable talking about our stress to everyday people. You know, we get therapists for those things and we feel like we have to closet our stresses a lot of the times, which I'm not knocking on therapy. I speak to a therapist. I love therapy. But I feel like there is a considerable amount of stress surrounding talking about stress. How ironic. And so Selye's research also uncovered something, though, that many might be surprised by or maybe comforted by. The stressed among us, Time says. So though we use the term stress almost exclusively in a negative way, with a negative connotation, Hans knew that a little bit of stress keeps life exciting. He passed away in 82, but he had these instructions for finding the right balance, for finding the right balance of stress in your life. And he said, fight always for the highest attainable aim, but never put up resistance in vain. And he had to rhyme, of course. So basically that means, to me at least, take risks, you know, do the things you might be afraid of doing a little bit here and there. Put yourself in stress's path, but don't linger there when slash if it starts to hurt you and harm your progress. See it as a challenge, not as a threat, to echo Lauren Martin. So just reframing the way you see things, you know, transforming something unfavorable into a challenge, softening your brow a little bit and looking at things differently. It's a simple yet profound way of thinking that has brought forth some of the greatest art forms of humankind. An example being Michelangelo's statue of David. I've had the opportunity to actually see it with my own eyes and guys, it is out of this freaking world, okay? The detail that he was able to achieve on his David is something that I just can't fully wrap my head around. I saw it Of course, when I was abroad in Italy, you guys all know by now, I went abroad to Florence in college, and I feel like I talk about it way too much, but Italy was just a life-changing experience for me. So anyway, I just can't stop talking about it, but it's crazy seeing the detail of Michelangelo's David. You know, even the veins in his hands look so lifelike and so real, like he'll, I don't know, just jump off the pedestal and come to life, and it's an incredible work of art. But did you know that Michelangelo's David was made from a flawed block of marble, a previous slab of marble that had been discarded by another sculptor. Apparently, it's filled with thousands of microscopic holes, among other imperfections on the exterior, and yet Michelangelo's David is visited by millions of people per year and has an estimated value of $200 million. I feel like it actually could be more than that too, but that's just what I found from researching. I don't think they've ever tried to sell it, so (laughs) they won't really know. But what's the full story here? Why was the marble discarded and why did Michelangelo choose to use flawed marble? So let's take things back in time to the year 1464. So a long freaking time ago. So about 16 feet in length, this giant marble block was first used and carved around 1464. 
And the original sculptor, Agostino de Duccio, had plans at this time to make a giant figure of a prophet for the Florence Cathedral that he was commissioned to create this for. And so for reasons unknown to us, Agostino abandoned the project after doing only a little bit of work. He began to rough out around the legs and kind of, you know, get ready to really do the hard work. And then he just gave up on the marble slab. Perhaps he lost faith in himself and thought that he, you know, couldn't accomplish the project. He wasn't skilled enough, whatever. It was a huge piece of marble, 16 feet, for crying out loud. The reasons are unknown, you know, as to why he quit the project. But the marble sat unused for about 10 years until it was picked up again by another sculptor, and his name was Antonio Rossellino. And he's a very world-renowned sculptor. His work is incredible. Uh, And yet he also backed out on the project almost immediately because he said that the marble was too poor in quality to work with. He just didn't even try. And so apparently it was too expensive to throw away such a gigantic slab of marble and no one wanted to work with it. So it sat outside, you know, undergoing the elements discarded for nearly a quarter of a century. A document from 1501 written about by Britannica, which I'll link, mentions a massively barely begun statue, quote, a certain man of marble named David badly blocked out and laid on its back in the courtyard. (laughs) The first time I read this quote, actually, I thought it said badly blacked out. And I'm like, ooh, (laughs) rough night. (laughs) But blocking out a statue means that they kind of started the work and just, you know, didn't quite do the nitty gritty details and everything or just like really get in there. He kind of prepared it for certain features and didn't quite finish it. So Michelangelo was 26 years old when he was given the project years and years later. After a few likely very challenging years working on the project due to the fact that, you know, the marble was already blocked out in a different form by the previous project owners. And, you know, he definitely just had a hard time with it, I bet. I read a source that said that he didn't really eat very much during the years he was, you know, working on the statue. And he slept with his shoes on because he was so eager to get back into it. And so he eventually finished his David, which stands at 17 feet tall and weighs 12,000 pounds. And it's insanely detailed. Like I said, if you haven't seen it or you can't visualize it in your mind, Google some photos, some close-ups, specifically look at his hand. It's insane, the level of detail. But he was able to accomplish this, 17 feet tall, 12,000 pounds, detailed, with such a flawed piece of marble. And now, all of these years later, It's admired by so many people who get the chance to see it, and it's a symbol of Florence, basically. And according to Michelangelo's biographer, Ascanio Condivi, Michelangelo worked on David in total secret. He hid away his masterpiece during the entire process. He was very protective over it. And when he was planning out the pose and the look for his version of David, he broke away from what had been done before. He decided to portray David before his battle with Goliath, rather than afterwards, which was what was done and very customary with other sculptors of his time. So he broke away from tradition, and he also did it in complete secret, didn't let anyone see it. He was 26 years old, and he took on this crazy project with a piece of marble that had been cast aside by so many people. Well, two, but you know, I'm assuming other people were maybe contracted and brought in, and they were like, no, absolutely not. So he, you know, did the impossible almost. He saw this project as a challenge, not as a threat, as a challenge. Something flawed, you know, but instead of saying it's impossible and giving up before he even began, he gave the marble a chance and he made something beautiful. 
He saw the slab differently than those two sculptors that came before him. He reframed the perspective. He saw this as a challenge. Sure, it was stressful, but as Hans said in his advice surrounding stress, he fought for the highest attainable aim. He saw creating David as a challenge and made something beautiful out of it. And so I freaking love this story and I love how it relates to stress, okay? Like I think we just need to reframe things for ourselves when we're in this moment of, you know, the spin cycle of the mood swing of feeling so hopeless and so stressed out, so burnt out, so just close to failure, ground ourselves, stay present, grab something in front of you and just hold on to it, hold on to that pen in front of you and say, this thing is so present and so here right now and I'm so grateful for X, Y, and Z. I don't know. Practice gratitude and think about the blessings in your life. And it might sound silly or just like, Katie, come on, there's huge problems in my life or whatever and I can't possibly do those stupid things. Just try it. I don't know. I've also heard like meditation is really great for these. Just like finding a way to get super, super present and with yourself and think rationally because when you're in you know, a downward spiral mood swing, it's very hard for you to think rationally. But, you know, also just remind yourself of GAS, general adaptation syndrome, like I mentioned, you know, alarm, resistance, exhaustion. So when you're feeling these things, think to yourself, okay, which phase am I in? Alarmed? Am I resisting? Am I exhausted? Or am I all the things? Like, I feel like a lot of times these three things happen like in the span of like two minutes apart from each other. And so just think about this and, you know, listen to this episode again, remind yourself of the David and of the flawed marble and know that it is possible to make something beautiful out of something that is challenging, okay? And to echo Lauren Martin one last time, if you're habitually a negative thinker, you typically react to a stressful situation with a threat-stress response. You already think you're in hot water before you even are. So remind yourself of that because I feel like I remember in corporate, you know, in the corporate world, I would often think that, you know, being called into my boss's office was a death sentence and I was getting fired and all these things. Well, you know, if you go into it with that mentality, I mean, your your heart rate's going to be up. You're going to be so on edge. You know, think, try to think optimistically and positively, even if it's hard. And it's, it is hard, especially if you, by habit, tend to always think negatively. But if you shift your perspective and start to just get more positive with each, you know, passing day, maybe not even positive, just realistic, okay? <laughs> like, Stop stressing yourself out more than is necessary. So yeah, eventually it will become ingrained. It will become a habit and a good habit. So yeah, I don't know. I think this is a good episode, good food for thought for all of us just to think through our stress and just reimagine things a bit, okay? Reimagine it as a challenge and not a threat. So that is it, guys. (laughs) And I also just want to say it's super freaking normal to feel stressed about things, especially this year. This is definitely one of the most stressful years in history and we're going through it. So give yourself a little bit of credit for living and working and studying during a time like this. So keep all those things in mind. You're doing great, sweetie, wherever you are in the world. I love you all. Thanks for listening. And I will talk to you guys all next week with an amazing story. I'm so excited. Can you tell? I'm like freaking, you know, going crazy over here. So definitely stay tuned and listen to next week's episode. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye.
Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.